mom why I got you on there. I did save a box turtle today. I, I had my coal mine contact with me and I pulled alongside of it and I stopped my truck. I said, Brenton, get out and get that turtle off the road. He's like, well, I don't want to touch it. And I'm like, oh, for goodness sakes, I jumped out of the truck. I'm like, get out of here. He's from Utah, so he doesn't know any better. And I picked it up, and I'm like, this is an eastern box turtle. See, he's, he's concave on the underside, so we know he's a he. And I moved him off the road. He, he's, my, he's my work project. That's Will Gillespie. Among other things, which you'll hear about a bit later in the program, he's the author of Cows I Have Known. It's a terrific book. His dad, Jim, is a farmer. With his wife, Patty, Jim raises corn, beans, and wheat. They have a small brood cow herd, and they raise chickens, all on 800 row-cropped acres in Jasper County, Illinois. It's due south of Chicago and halfway between St. Louis and Indianapolis. But the Gillespie Farm is more than agricultural fields. It also includes carefully managed prairies, wetlands, and woodlands. I'm a member of an organization called the Vermont Alliance for Half-Earth. It's based on the work of one of my heroes, E.O. Wilson, a famed biologist who's one of the world's leading experts on ants. You've probably heard me mention him before. But he's also one of the world's leading experts on human beings, if the quote that I use as my email signature line is any indication. It goes like this. May I now humbly ask... Just where do we think we're going, really? I believe the great majority of people on Earth would agree with the following goals. An indefinitely long and healthy life for all, abundant, sustainable resources, personal freedom, adventure, both virtual and real, on demand, status, dignity, membership in one or more respectable groups, obedience to wise rulers and laws, and lots of sex with or without reproduction. There is a problem, however. These are also the goals of your family dog. I love that. Anyway, Wilson wrote a book a few years ago called Half Earth, Our Planet's Fight for Life. It's the third book in a series about the Anthropocene, which is the period in planetary history during which humans dominate as the apex species. In that book, Wilson argues that our presence is causing the mass extinction of large numbers of the species with which we share the Earth. He also argues that this mass extinction event isn't just bad for the species that disappear. Their disappearance could very well lead to our own demise. What Wilson argues for is quite extraordinary, that half of the planet's surface be dedicated to nature and left undeveloped. Not only does he point to the Amazon River Basin, the Serengeti, the growing National Prairie Preserve in the American West, and the patches of California redwoods, obvious areas that should be left alone, he also identifies regions of the planet that can also be preserved as protected space for those species that can't escape human domination. Look, I'm no alarmist. But as a naturalist, a biologist, a scuba diving instructor, a nature photographer, a writer, and a recordist of the sounds of the natural world, not to mention a father and a grandfather, I do worry about biodiversity. I worry because I understand the complex interdependencies of an ecologically healthy and stable environment, 
and the extent to which we can knock them off kilter if we're not careful. And I'm also aware that we do share the planet with other residents that have as much of a right to be here as we do. I worry because every inconsequential action that we each take becomes a highly consequential action in aggregate. That single plastic bag that I throw away without a second thought becomes seven billion plastic bags, and they don't break down over time. That single dripping faucet, multiplied many times over, adds up to multiples of Niagara Falls. You get the picture. Look, I like civilization as much as the next person. We've worked hard to build technology and community and all the remarkable inventions that make our lives comfortable and safe. But I also like going into the forest and hearing this. And this. And this. It's all about balance. And that's what Ed Wilson talks about in his Half-Earth book. In the same way that the simple decision to not throw away that plastic bag can do a great thing for the environment, or better yet, to use a waxed paper bag instead, he asks that each of us set aside a small patch of our yards and gardens for nature. Not much. A six-by-five-foot patch planted with local pollinators is all it takes to make a big difference for local plants and animals. Anyway, some of you may remember the episode in this series a few months ago called My Interview with Dumbledore. In it, I interviewed my friend Dick Todd, a fellow wildlife sound recordist who looks eerily like the head of Hogwarts. Anyway, Dick is a friend of the Gillespies, and knowing my passion for interesting people and the stories they tell, he suggested in the strongest possible terms that I meet them. Dick lives west of Chicago, and the Gillespies aren't far away. When he described them to me, I knew I had to get them on this show. And it isn't because they're farmers. It's because of how they farm. And it ties back to Ed Wilson's message about the planet. I asked Patty to give me a quick introduction. Primarily, we are farmers, and we have one engineer and one artist and one biologist in the family. Okay, interesting-sounding family, right? Well, it gets better. It has to do with a wildlife preserve called Prairie Ridge, which is adjacent to one of their farm fields and about five miles from their home. Their son, Bob, is the site manager at the preserve. Prairie Ridge is a preserve in southeastern Illinois, and it is focused on the conservation of grassland wildlife, so all all wildlife associated with, with grasslands. And we also have uh, the state's only population of greater prairie chickens, and it's the farthest eastern population of greater prairie chickens in North America. So we manage in a focused way for them, but we also manage for um, bobolinks and bobwhite quail and northern shrikes and ornate box turtles and you know all all manner of of uh, avian and mammalian and and botanical um, fauna and flora that you might come across in in grasslands. So Prairie Ridge is about 
5,000 acres, more or less, and it's scattered between two counties in, in southern Illinois, uh, Jasper County, which is near Newton, Illinois, and Marion County, which is near, near Salem or, or Kinmundy. And both those areas have greater prairie chickens, and uh, we, we manage those flocks in both those counties. Prairie Ridge is composed of properties that are owned by the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, and properties that are owned by the Illinois Audubon Society. We have a couple grasslands that are owned by the Illinois Audubon Society that are accessible to the public, uh, the Robert Ridgeway grassland and the Bartels grassland in Marion County. Both of them are, are very nice um, prairie reconstructions. Uh, they have wetland features and walking trails and, and areas to observe the grasslands. So they're, they're a very unique resource for the public to, to view. And in the spirit of keeping it in the family, here's Patty. Prairie Ridge is our oldest son's responsibility, and we just do volunteer work. Uh, when he went out to Kansas to capture prairie chickens and translocate them to Prairie Ridge, Jim and I, would pick up the prairie chickens as they were flowing in and then help release them onto the booming ground. In the mornings when birders come, we go visit with them a little bit, make sure they're being able to see the prairie chickens the best they can and at a distance so the prairie chickens aren't disturbed. Okay, the whole family's involved in a variety of ways. I asked how they got started doing conservation. So so the two older folks are the ones to blame for this, Stephen, so... (laughs) All right. Jim and I, uh, back in 1976, we were just a newlywed married couple, and we decided that we'd do a little wildlands restoration. But this little project that we took on resulted in more work than we ever would have bargained for. We built a fence around a section, about three acres, to around a pond to exclude the cattle. And then we purchased 100 bare root seedlings of a recommended shrub, and we began planting. First, we dug, bent over, inserted seedling, kneeled to crumble soil around the roots with our hands, then stood back up and tamped the soil around the stem with the heel of a boot. It was a a lot, a lot of work. We got hot and sweaty and dirty and and tired, and we got all 100 planted in one day, and we loved it. And then when our shrubs got big enough to flower, the scent of the blossoms was so fragrant and so attractive to pollinators that the buzzing of the bees was like jetted and loud, and they grew quickly and robust and it was very gratifying to see our work end up in some in a wildlife restoration project, no matter that it was just three acres. Do you know the expression, no good deed goes unpunished? Well... We began encountering the shrub inexplicably growing elsewhere, in our pasture, along the wooded draws, down along the creek, on the steep hillsides. The original bushes that encircled the pond became large and multi-stemmed or multi-trunked and thorn-laden branches, just huge bushes. Between the bushes, there was no room for native shrubs like hazelnut or service berry or for small trees like dogwood or plum or cherries. These, these bushes just outcompeted all the native 
And we started to think, oh my gosh, we are not providing habitat that uh, offers food for a number of creatures. Like there were no herbaceous plants for bobwhite quail and wild turkeys and rabbits. And there weren't woody species with berries and nuts that ripened all through the summertime at different times. And so food wasn't there throughout the summer and the falls. If you fast forward to about 1996, then we're doing dangerous work. We're running chainsaws, we're spraying herbicide, we're getting scratched by thorns, we're tripping on low branches. And it turns out that those shrubs we planted way back in 1976 were exotic invasive shrubs. So a lot of our time now is working on trying to eradicate that invasive that we planted years and years ago. But there's a happy ending. And now in that area, I'm really proud to say that we have about 70 acres that we've taken out of production and we've planted to warm season grasses and wildflowers. And we've done work on a little woodland that's in that area. We now have it full of oaks and hickories and nut producing trees such as that and lots of native berry producing shrubs. And it's a wonderful wildlife habitat area. So you might be wondering why they're doing this. I mean, farming is hard work. And even though all of the Gillespies and their extended family members have other professions in addition to farming, they're also making a huge commitment to the environment on top of everything else. So I asked them why. We have a great love of the outdoors. We also feel like we should contribute something to prosperity. We want those children to see a diversity of animals that we've been able to see, and that may not be the case. We do feel a sense of responsibility and obligation, but we also get so much joy from this. You know, the act of being outside and doing what we do, for lack of a better term, doing habitat work, running a chainsaw, that sort of thing, It's just a tremendous sense of joy to us. In some ways, I feel like there's a little bit of responsibility on us as humans, since so much of this disturbance to wild communities and ecosystems has been brought upon by human activity, be it on a global scale with the world becoming more global and those species being introduced in places where they're not native. So I see that as kind of a responsibility that we have to work towards finding that balance in our native places. And finding that balance, that same balance that E.O. Wilson talks about, has also informed Sarah's work as a graphic artist. It became the thesis of my body of work, more engaged with that sense of connection and how patterns in the world can connect the micro and macro. The idea of invasion and change of the landscape is, is still something that I think about in my, and informs a lot of my art. There's a real sense of give and take. And it's something that we kind of measure, or at least I find myself measuring in the back of my head as far as how much I'm taking from the world around me versus essentially the good I put out there. The good in this sense being, you know, a little bit of habitat work there, maybe a little bit of extra bird feed on a cool day. Our background in agriculture kind of makes us more aware that we are a 
dependent on the environment around us, and there is a sense of give and take. Human beings, all in all, are takers from the natural world. We take so much from it. Bob Gillespie, the site manager of Prairie Ridge. And we put little back. So as conservationists, and what I think about every day when I'm at work, I think, what can I do to better the natural world and recover these endangered species today? Conservation, to be honest, is sometimes it feels like pushing the pee down the road. You know, it's just a little incremental successes at a time. But what can I do each day that might help some declining organism, some unique prairie plant, the population we're trying to increase? Could I put up a, a birdhouse today that might help a, uh, a mama kestrel that's looking for a nest? But it's always important to think about what a person could do um, to help with conservation. And a good deer steak tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely second that. Yeah. <laughs> Will has an equally compelling view of the balance of things. Stephen, it's really hard to say that there's much of an impact in the local community, honestly. But I will say that we do see more wildlife just in the general region because of the work that we've done on our ground. I would like to add, though, Dad, you in particular have had a lot of impacts in your encounters with individuals at the park. You've made friends with a lot of hunters there and definitely somebody has a question about legality or they want to know what a species is they come to you and that is you know that's not the impact that you can exactly see you can't say well there's x numbers of habitat that are created because of this influence but what we can say is that your treatment of others at the park and just trying to do the right thing in your job has made an impact one thing I'd like to say, most of the outdoors men, women in this area, a lot of them are sportsmen, and they're generally species-specific. They want to manage their land for deer, or they want to manage their land for rabbit. And any bobcat or coyote or owl or hawk is bad. Well, we've taken a more ecosystem management and try to have it good for everything. Value a bobcat. Value a hawk. Value a bunny. They're all part of it. Value the plants. One of the highlights last spring is when Patty and I were taking a walk through our prairie and we found tway blade orchid. We'd never seen it, a whole patch of it. And we were just about doing somersaults across the, the prairie. It was a really thrill. But like I said, we eat deer steak too. <laughs> <laughs> to me, like you stated, as a working biologist or a ecologist, you know, in the field of conservation or natural resources management, the, the reason it's most important for us to conserve um, natural resources is that these are islands of biodiversity. And that biodiversity is important. We want it to remain on the landscape. So, you know, the folks that come after us in the future can view that and have an idea of what was once here. And it's important for our health to have areas that are wild, places where we can get out in the natural world and breathe clean air, have clean water, have places to recreate, have places to just get away. The natural world is important to conserve because there are so many organisms that are plain and simple 
just important in the very fact that they are here. And we have a responsibility as conservationists to protect those organisms and recover those declining populations of organisms as best as we possibly can. As I get ready to wrap up this episode, let me take us back to the beginning when I introduced E.O. Wilson's half-earth concept, the idea that if everyone were to set aside a small piece of their property for their local, non-human residents, it would go a long way toward the idea of non-contiguous habitat conservation. What the Gillespies have done by planting native species, setting aside pieces of their farmland as a commitment to the natural world, volunteering at the local preserve, getting involved in outreach and education through speaking and writing and art and the jobs they do, and helping others enjoy what nature has to offer, that's a wonderful thing. Now, Patty was quick to tell me that they haven't done it alone. They've had help from government programs and local conservation agencies that support their efforts. But that's okay. The point is, they made the commitment, and they've been deliberate in that commitment. Now, earlier in the program, Will told me that they take a lot of joy from the work they do. Patty even gave me a list of their activities. We wade in creeks. It makes me tired just listening to it. We pick wildflowers, make bouquets. But, truth be told, we hunt and trap game animals, we go fishing. If you're going to go to the trouble, we hike to create such a wonderful habitat. We search for projectile points. And provide a place for wildlife to share it. We follow tracks in the snow. It seems to me. We wildlife bird watch and wildlife watch. That you might as well take advantage of it. Botanize. We love to go out and try to identify different plants. Gather wild plants for natural dyeing art projects. Pick wild edible fruits. Mushroom hunt. We're really pretty good at playing outdoors. Patty and Jim Gillespie and their family, the owners of Gillespie Farm in Jasper County, Illinois, near Prairie Ridge. You know, I used to love watching Charles Kuralt on CBS's Sunday morning program. You may recall, if you're familiar with the show, that he was given a motorhome and a film crew and told to go drive around the country and find inspiring stories to produce. He didn't interview rock stars or sports heroes or the leaders of giant companies. He interviewed people like Patty and Jim and Will and Sarah and Bob, regular people doing extraordinary things to make a difference. In fact, he once told an interviewer that his job was to find extraordinary things in ordinary people. He should have spent some time with the Gillespies. Folks, if you happen to be in the area, check out Prairie Ridge and look for prairie chickens. Chances are you'll run into one of the Gillespies while you're there. And think about Ed Wilson's challenge and the commitment that Patty, Jim, and their family have made. I'd love to know, what are you going to do? One last thing. Since I mentioned it earlier, I would love it if you'd check out the Vermont Alliance for Half-Earth website. It tells the story of things we're doing here in my home state to live out Dr. Wilson's, and for that matter, the Gillespies' commitment to sharing the planet. You can find it at vermontallianceforhalfearth.org, and you can get more information about Prairie Ridge at the Illinois Department of Natural Resources website. 
Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.